With more than 500 programs a year, there is never a dull moment at the Commonwealth Club. If you're a fan of this podcast and you like hearing new and provocative discussions with the most interesting people in the world, consider showing your support by joining the Commonwealth Club and ensuring that the conversations never end. Visit commonwealthclub.org slash special to get special rates on membership. Welcome to the latest program in our Lavender Talk series from the Commonwealth Club of California and San Francisco Pride, which pulled together today's program. I'm John Zippero, the club's vice president of media and editorial. We hope you're staying safe and are well wherever you are. We look forward to seeing you in person someday in the future at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in nearly 250 online programs the club has produced just in the past six months. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as audio and video from our past programs, and learn how you can help support our program production at commonwealthclub.org. Now, we would like to thank Gilead Pride Alliance and Comcast for their generous support for the Lavender Talks series. We also extend a thank you to the San Francisco Pride Legacy Partners. Now, I'd like to introduce Michelle Miao. She's a member of the Commonwealth Club Board of Governors, a past board president for SF Pride, and she's the longtime producer and host of the Michelle Meow Show. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for that awesome introduction. It's always a great pleasure to be doing this and, of course, with you. But you get, you're you off today. You're kind, you kind of got the easy job in doing the, the introduction. Um, but it's a fun, fun program. It's a great program, actually. And I'm very, very glad and super uh, grateful and thankful to the Commonwealth Club and San Francisco Pride for extending the Lavender Series beyond the Pride season, because you can, you know, now we are able to connect with our entire communities and having these very important conversations. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our, our panel this afternoon. Um, we're going to do a discussion on body positivity and the kink culture and, or, excuse me, kink and BDSM. Uh, so we have Beth by Coastal Hunt, who is the Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District Manager Emeritus and Lifelong Artist and Performer, Danny Tan Nguyen, who is a writer, a Lambda Literary and Ragdale Foundation Kuneman Fellow and also a columnist for Recon, and Bianca Spencer, Miss Rubber, San Francisco 2020, co-founder of the Unruly Social Club and former chairwoman of the Lesbian Sex Mafia. Welcome, everyone. Yay. Yay! Thanks for having us. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, this is such a treat. You know, we're just a few days shy of Folstrom Street Fair, and this, I think, is the first time that it's gone all virtual. It's a traditional event here in San Francisco that traditionally draws out over 50,000 people from around the world. And so this weekend, virtually, we'll be connected, you know, around the world again, but it will look a little different. Uh, so I kind of feel like this is like kicking off Folsom Street Fair with all three of you. So thank you for being here. Um, we'll start with some context for our viewers and listeners who are tuning in. And again, like John said, we want you engaged. So send us some questions and comments for our panel today and we'll get them to them. Uh, we'll get it to them. But um, the context. So it's believed, at least from a Rolling Stones article that I read earlier this morning, that uh, the queer representation in kink and BDSM uh, culture or subculture kind of grew out um, after World War II 
you know, having this, uh, this attraction to the uniform, the buzz cut, um, kind of a look or feel. Yeah. And, uh, um, and interestingly in my reading it, you know, there then, uh, grew the first ever gay motorcycle club. I think they were called the Warlocks, um, the one out in San Francisco. Uh, and, and the first, I guess, gay club that catered to the leather community was called the Gold Coast in Chicago, which then became uh, the birthplace of International Mr. Leather Conference in the late 70s. And so I give this context to give you some idea of the masculine representation in BDSM kink culture. And it has since evolved in the last you know, couple of decades to, I would say, be much more inclusive. And that uh, is because and due to the hard work of our incredible community. And so let's start from there. Let's start from each of you and kind of your understanding, what your recollection, your knowledge is of queer representation and the history of it in BDSM and kink culture. We'll start with Beth. I knew I was going to go first. Um, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there, there's a very heavy uh, masculine overtone to leather as it's known in, in pop culture, right? Even if you see it in Fifty Shades of Grey and all that stuff, right, that we pretty much hate in our scene, um, they, uh, there's this overtone of masculinity, but uh, it's actually like a incorrect, uh, inaccurate description uh, for whatever reason because probably because of the uh, patriarchy in our country, males get the spotlight first. But um, if you ask folks like Gail Rubin and our senior dykes, they uh, definitely will say that women have been around and doing the leather community just as long, Um, but uh, maybe not as loud about it, perhaps. But uh, that is for sure changing. And uh, it's been wonderful to be asked to speak here. And I hope I can represent some folks who... um, identify as big and fat and beautiful and uh repping my italian folks and uh the east coast over here so it's uh you know san francisco is my home for 15 years but it is everywhere and like you said uh the birthplace of international mr leather was chicago there is in Folsom east also out here in new york and uh all over the world so uh the bdsm kink culture and leather um bleed together a little bit there's you know some sub communities like we do uh but there is a big international representation and uh so it's just it's great to have these discussions and kind of take away maybe some stigmatisms or nom- like people who have a wrong idea about our situation because of pop media highlighting not the most accurate uh, aspects <laughs> Danny hi um so you know uh you brought up a Rolling Stones interview or article that was um, put out recently. I do want to encourage folks. There is a lot of like kind of misperception and also romantic um, uh, uh, myth making around the origins of leather and its connection to say um, masculine subcultures such as post World War II paramilitary uniforms, plus sign the road dog biker. Um, plus sign the, the, the cowboy um, as kind of icons within American representation of masculinity and how that's influenced um, the Leatherman or leather culture. Some of those, some of that myth can also be debunked or affirmed in a recent um, presentation that my club, Onyx Northwest, recently did this past weekend. Actually, we had Gail Rubin 
who is one of the foremost like academics writing about leather culture and doing research, particularly around BDSM leather culture. Uh, queerness. And so um, I do encourage folks, if you are interested in learning about that history and having it like based in data and research, um, please check out Onyx Northwest um, online. Uh, that recording is available both on YouTube and on Facebook Live. So uh, check that out. Um, but the question that you were asking is like, um, how has things evolved? I think one thing that I'm thinking about in terms of masculinity and the centering of that and how it's changed and shift over time is um, recently Judith Butler actually just recently did a interview. Um, you can probably find this online, but she's being asked about like, what is your take on um, turf culture, like uh, trans exclusive uh, exclusionary, like radical feminists um, and the, um, pushback against trans inclusivity within radical feminism. And she, and she says that, well, gender has always been a social construct and it's constantly changing. And I think that one thing that for me is really important, particularly as somebody who I identify as masculine passing, um, I'm non-binary and, you know, fluid in terms of my gender representation. But that being said, I think there's something to be said about how back in the day, especially in post-World War II culture, when queer men were having to survive using masculinity and masculine passingness to cultivate power or respectability, like that was something that was necessary for survival back then. And we're not in the same place anymore. We are in a place in which we are questioning gender and we're questioning and challenging aspects of patriarchy in terms of... Um, maleness as well as femaleness and like non-binary folks and so i think there's something to be said about the evolution of of gender also being part of what it means to evolve in terms of like bdsm practitioners thank you danny and bianca um well i think a lot of us got to know the leather culture through one of the most popular artists that there is tom of finland and Tom of Finland had millions and millions of fans all over the world. And there were people who were just oozing masculinity, right? They were just like, like the rippled muscles, the, the, you know, the T-shaped body. It was just completely masculine. But we keep forgetting to mention the International Miss Leather Competition in San Jose, and they have been around, we have been around for over 30 years. I'm actually one of the producers of the Miss uh, International, Miss Leather Competition, and Boot Black Competition uh, weekend. So they've been around for just as long as the men have, but I agree with Beth. I think that our history and our roles and even just femme people and femme roles within the history of BDSM have completely been men washed <laughs> men washed in the patriarchy and all those horrible things that we hate to talk about um but it feels like we have always been here i'm the i'm the former chairwoman of lsm lesbian sex mafia we are the oldest women's bdsm continuously running group in the country if not the world and we've been around for over 30 plus years i think that the 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 hanky code and the leather jackets and the Levi look, I think it's really sexy. And I think that's why people identify so much with it. But I think it also 
completely uh, makes people who identify as femme or wear heels or do other things like that. I think it really just in, makes them invisible because everyone wants the the sexiness that they see on TV and the sexiness that has been given to us in, in media and in Hollywood and all of those other things. Let's dive into um, you know the next part of the the conversation and where there might you know some of this uh, misconceptions were born out of. I think especially for those who are joining us for the very first time and you're hearing for the first time of King Culture, BDSM, um, you, all of you had mentioned roles. And I think for some folks, like when we think about roles in kink culture, especially if, you know, I, I, Danny, you'd brought up um, earlier before the program started, you know, someone being dominant or submissive, you know, these roles in, in kink sometimes could then uh, be misunderstood as if, you know, top is more masculine or, or bottoms are, are not, or, or it's so focused on the binary, I guess, if you were to, to read this stuff in mainstream or to Beth's point, you know, watch things like <laughs> 50 shades of gray. Um, and so if, if you all could you know, start the, the discussion in talking about specific roles and, and uh, explaining that a little bit before we get into addressing issues within King culture and representation, that would be great. We'll start with Danny. Oh man, okay. I, well, I think for the uninitiated, um, binaries exist heavily, but that's also because it's influenced from like heterosexist culture. I think for a lot of folks, particularly within at least the, the sub-communities that I'm active in, particularly in the, the queer um, BDSM world and leather world, is we understand and have been interrogating for a very long time. Those of us who are like ex experienced players, we try to shrug some of that bullshit off. <laughs> I think that like those of us who have worked through our heterosexism or continuously work on, on, on you know, moving beyond that we understand that there's a difference between being masculine and feminine and that it's not necessarily correlated with being a top or a bottom and that's also not even correlated necessarily with being a dominant or a submissive or a switch it's just like all like take all these roles and responsibilities and and these ways of modes of playing and understand that like we possess every single variable within that spectrum you are completely capable most people are playing across the spectrum some people lean more into one side or the other but that doesn't mean that like we exist within those binaries so i think that's one of the things that i at least appreciate within the active you know, players that I engage with and the subcommunities I choose to to um, to to build community with is that we've done some of the work to shrug that off. Doesn't mean that we're done doing that work, but rather I think we're ahead of the curve as far as like understanding that masculine, feminine, butch, femme, uh, male, femaleness, like these are just like fun labels to play with, but they don't necessarily define us. I would build upon that, but also like as we travel through space and time and I mean, I'm in New Jersey again right now, right? And so I'm reminded about how <laughs> vanilla is the term we use in our community, uh, how basic, you know, most people's days are and they don't have the colorfulness and the exquisite, you know, 
full spectrum of everything we have in San Francisco. And so a, a lot of it, I think, comes down to exposure. And, you know, I, I like if you could look at a literary standpoint or a linguistic standpoint, I guess, like you need to have terms at some point, right? You're trying to describe something. You have to have terms or else you're like, it's and like you can't get anywhere. So, you know, vocabulary and language evolved and became binary because it's really easy to be like, boom, 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 boom. We're putting people in categories and it's like easy, you know, like, like a little spreadsheet. Uh, but realistically, none of us are 2D cartoon characters. We all have these full dynamics, you know, like I, I get, no pun intended, pegged as like, you know, this, this like hard femme, top, dominant, me, me, me. And if you see me and my husband's relationship, like, man, we are like... <laughs> classically gender stereotype rolled sometimes and I'm like oh we're doing that and like it is what it is you know like it's kind of cliche but it also kind of feels like role play for me to be fair yeah it's like a reverse but like that's what I think the joy of our culture is is that like Danny's saying as you get more subversed in this like I, I started as a youngin maybe 19 no I'm lying I was like 16 when I started with BDSM <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, but I was, I was very young. I was actually like 15 and um, I jumped in and I, I was like consenting and excited and doing it all. And, uh, you know, as I evolved quickly, uh, I ended up in my 20s, like realizing like this is just as boring as doing the expected roles. And the fun came from like literally trying on different hats and doing all the roles. And like now when people ask me to identify myself, I'm like, how much time do you have? Cause, and maybe I can, I can give you a different version on Tuesday cause it changes. And I think that's, what's like wonderful about our culture as we are moving through time and space together is that we're coming back to this amorphous phase <laughs> where like binaries aren't really sticking. And to the point of the today's lecture, after we talk a little more with roles with Bianca, the, uh, like, I think, um, body types is right in that also like trying to classify body types is is right up this alley too so um i don't want to keep going on that tangent but uh bianca i know you've got some interesting comments i'm sure <laughs> um i do because i am a black woman and i am a feminine black woman and as a feminine black woman i am seen usually one of two ways i am either your mistress and you're gonna serve me man or I am completely subservient to you and anything that you say, sir, um, and I get on my hands and knees. Uh, that's not me. That's never been me. Uh, I can't fake it if I wanted to. But I think as you get, I don't want to say older, but as you get deeper, like Beth was saying, deeper into the culture, you kind of figure out that those roles that were told to you were really false. They were really false and you really truly didn't understand what they actually meant. So for me, I'm a switch because who knows what Tuesday might bring. We don't know. Um, for me, I'm submissive to a point. I'm submissive to certain people, but I'm not a submissive person by nature. Um, in my work life, I am a powerhouse saleswoman. I make shit happen. I have million dollar accounts. And then at home, sometimes I just need to put that power woman to the side and just be who I am. I think our roles in the binary kind of do change based on our day. Um, tomorrow, I may want to top somebody or maybe I want you to be at my feet and serve me, young man. 
but most days it's that's not who I am and I'm not into those stereotypes but I think I think it's as you get deeper and further and figure out where you where you stand and where your kinks are that's when you're able to truly figure out where you belong on the scales we're already starting to get some questions from the audience and so I'll go ahead and interrupt myself and ask a question because it leads also to um, what we are going to talk about, you know, body positivity and, and uh, you know, sizes, all, all sizes is kink or kink culture, kink communities, a safe place for all people, all sizes. We'll get to that. But here's a question for Beth. Beth mentioned the opportunity to respond to some popular misconceptions of leather culture. What are some of those myths and how does she respond to them? Meaning like my Fifty Shades of Grey uh, reference? <laughs> I'm guessing. I think so, yeah. I, I think, um, like Bianca was saying, the these stereotypes of like you're either this or this, and you know the uh, and really that's where fetishizing comes about. Um, a, a little side note: I have a master's in psychology, and through that ten year <laughs> process, I obviously focused a lot on kink and BDSM because that was my process. Um, but as I went through that discovery, I, I found that there's like this these fetishizings I feel tend to happen when people shame certain aspects and then it becomes like something you really want because you're not supposed to have it and um you know just one theory but there's these pigeonholings and these stereotypings and these making it like 2d character cutouts um when I was doing sex work for a while uh I for the most part 99% of the time was whipping flogging here be my ashtray uh wear maid's costume clean my apartment um you know my favorite was humiliation play and ironically my husband hates it but uh you know it's <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know danny getting a little hot but um that was what i was really great at that was a really fun role to play but like bianca was saying it's not it's not realistically who I am every day. That'd be exhausting. That's why I get paid to do that. So, um, you know, it's, there's, and, and that role is fun. And I think that my like idea when I was studying psychology and as I get back finally into writing and discussing things with people and being a more active part of this uh, community is bring, highlighting like the fun aspect. Like there's a reason why people role play is so in our community, you know, it's, it's a thing, it's a tool. It's something that we can use to express ourselves, to work through things, to just straight up have a good time to get to know people, um, explore all of your rainbow and spectrum. You know, um, I think when we see the cartoon characters, the Tom of Finland, the, the movie representations, it's like a comic book. I mean, like I always, that's a reference I constantly use is just feeling like you're a 2D cartoon character. You know, like when I, I got the honor of being on the Folsom poster a couple of years ago and um, all glammed up, you know, and when I went through the fair that year, like multiple people uh, really expected me to be somebody different than I am. Uh, <laughs> and it's, and it's, I think it's because of that, because we, we do these, you know, descriptives and put people in these boxes. So I think that's how I want to answer that question is that just like realize that those representations in pop media um, aren't the full story. It's just a fun highlighting. Danny, are you trying to? <laughs> yeah. Could I, could I add to that? Um, I love the comic book analogy simply because the way and I've written about this before, but I like to say that like, Leather and drag are two sides of the same coin. Traditionally, 
we've thought of, we've adopted this attitude that like leather is an amplification of masculinity or it can be. And likewise with like say drag, mm-hmm. with, especially with drag queens, your do- traditional drag queenism is, you know, the amplification and the performance of femininity often for entertainment or ironic or performative purposes right and then likewise with like leather it's like oh I'm gonna like butch myself up or I'm gonna hyper feminize like the power of myself by putting myself in gear and all of a sudden it's just like I'm this amplified version of it (laughs) yeah and and I mean it's fun to step into that right like there's a reason like most people love Halloween or costume parties because there's fun about stepping out of your day-to-day and being something that's attracted to you for you're attracted to things for a reason it's something you need in your life more than more than most times and so go there go there with us and have a good mentor while you do it which is why we have programs like that in our community and resources because if you get with the wrong folks it can be really scary so um while we're saying this whole like exploratory you know statements about bdsm it it is intense at times so you know having someone you can trust and go through those things having a good sex worker is actually a huge plus in your life um and you know there's safe places that we can probably reference for you later if you want but um anyway i i hope i answered what they were looking for if not there you go (laughs) ask again ask again if if uh beth yeah. Didn't yeah. I think you did. I think you did. Well, let's talk about, you know, safety and inclusion of everyone, you know, in kink culture. This is my own impression, but then again, I'm not very active in the kink and BDSM community. So you're, you'll be the ones to tell us, but it's my impression, especially when I, I'm, I am out there, you know, Folsom Street Fair or any of the uh, leather events that it's pretty inclusive. It's pretty diverse. And at least you know, with um, the history of kink culture and, and LGBTQI folks, and I should say LGBTQI plus, uh, there is at least an opportunity of consent and safety um, and uh, communication in terms of, you know, well, like all of you have been saying for the first half hour. But I'd love to hear your thoughts to expand on that. I mean, there's a reason why we're talking, you know, the title is Body Positivity and what your experiences may have been uh, in kink culture and BDSM. So we'll begin with Bianca. So I think there needs to be a, a very clear understanding that there's two different types of community within the leather community. There's the queer leather community and there's the men's leather community. The queer leather community is the community that I am a part of. Um, it's where my club is from, Unruly Social Club. We are, we made our own space. It is diverse. The community is diverse in terms of, yes, on the rainbow spectrum, we are all equally ide- available and identified. But on the color spectrum, it's not necessarily the same thing. And so there's a lot of, um, very small pockets for people who are not white. So I think that's something that we really do need to call out and we need to make aware that there's very small space no matter where you are if you're a person of color. Now that being said, the queer community is super big on consent. The queer community polices themselves, 
we call out uh, violators, we call out, you know, there, there's bad people where whatever you do, wherever you're doing it, and we're just in a hypersexualized space. So we're going to have just as many bad folks as you have in real life, but we're going to find them faster because unfortunately, this is how we find them. So we police ourselves, we're big on consent, all those other things. The men's community has a very different culture than the queer community. Um, when I go to men's events, my consent is violated almost regularly. Um, when I go to men's events, there are more times and often not that someone has to come to my defense because someone touched me, someone grabbed me, someone made a statement that they shouldn't have. Uh, I was accosted using the bathroom. I've had trans friends who went to conferences and con contests who were kicked out of their the, the own events that they were invited to because of the bathroom issues. So I, I really think um, as a queer community, yes, we are everything that you said. But if we're going to include the gay men in the community, we're not even halfway close to where we need to be. Uh, may I? Um, I just wanted to affirm um, what Bianca just shared. I, I have very kind of similar experiences and I also am speaking as somebody who, you know, does um, slipstream between like queer kink spaces and gay cisgender male spaces, which is predominantly very white centric. I mean, all you have to do is take a look at the contest system. All you have to do is take a look at the porns. All you have to do is look at the actual like body count within the circuit parties that are happening at Folsom, at Up Your Alley, at any of the international, like, queer high holiday, like, festival weekend, you know, type of stuff. And, you know, it's really interesting because I, I would agree. I also feel that as somebody who has worked within the public health sector for, like, over 16 years, and I've done a lot of mental health services within, like, gay men client base, is... Yeah, I think that there's something to be said about, like, consent violation, but also, like, we're ta also talking about a, a, an entire community that has, like, absolutely atrocious history of sexual assault. They, 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 a lot of us are, you know, experience, have experienced sexual assault or rape. A lot of us experience, I mean, the pretty much all gay men have body dysmorphia too and so sometimes that kind of violence gets perpetrated and then also I, our own body dysmorphia issues are getting processed and like pushed onto each other as well and so that's why you always have like this weird irony of like guys going must get rid of toxic in community need a king who can handle and yet they're like all right, I'm roided out, and here at the circuit party, and I only like fucking other white men. Oh my god, I, I'm gonna call myself out on this. Like, as a masculine presenting person, I'm not above the fact that, like, in order for me to have found a certain level of passability within gay male spaces, I had to grow out this beard. I had to fucking start pumping my <laughs> lifting weights in order to gain a certain passability in terms of like western white male standards of beauty mm. you know like and i'm gonna quote um bianca's co-founder of the unruly social club but girl complex when she stepped down from her uh international ms leather title one of the things and i'm not going to be nearly as eloquent <laughs> as girl complex but she said as something along the lines of as a black queer woman 
it is a radical act for me to even exist in front of you right here, owning agency over my sexuality and my body. And likewise, I think there's something to be said about like within like gay male spaces and gay male kink culture. It is a radical act if you're trans, if you're a person of color, if you're femme, or if you are something beyond this like standard of like white masculine representation of what like Western beauty looks like. I I also being white want to just chime in because uh, it really sucks. I hate being white sometimes <laughs> uh, because uh, being with white men man it's been tough like I feel like I've endured that my whole life and uh it is exhausting and I am proud and happy and more than no problem I will do all of that emotional labor but I'm constantly explaining and educating the babies let me tell you and I'm that does not an age description you could be 75 and be a child in my eyes about your understanding of your race and where you belong in the world. And uh, there is just not enough time to educate everybody. So I just want to back up Bianca and Danny's statements of the frustrations that one can face in this community, particularly the men's community. Um, I am known for being swimming in those waters um, and it was never easy. And I get sexually assaulted every single time. one way I've dealt with that is clapping back. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, as well as quite literally being like, all right, if you're touching my boob, I'm going to touch your boob. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's been tough. There's been some good calls and bad in that. Um, but trying to uh, educate people constantly about how consent and, and how to navigate those waters, because again, you see in pop culture and a lot of other places where like, oh, you go to a sex club and you can just do whatever you want. And like, that is not accurate, nor are a lot of our bars and spaces actually sex clubs. They're like social clubs. (laughs) Um, And that happens a lot. And being a fat femme, um, it is constantly, I felt like a lot of mommy transference. um, And also like, the cis, right? I'm a sister. I mean, I have three brothers. That's an easy role for me to be in, but like this, oh, that's Beth. And she's our kid's sister kind of thing. Um, so we can do whatever we want to her. And, you know, not everyone gets that card. You have to like, at least know my real name to get on that list. You know, like it's a, it's a small step list, but like, you know, I'm pretty comfortable, but like Danny said, most of us are survivors and it was not an easy road to get here. I have multiple violations in my past some that people should have had felony offenses for, um, especially when I was young. But uh, thanks to therapy and a lot of hard self-work um, over a decade, I'm, you know, I'm proud. I, I have my degree in expressive arts therapy, and obviously I'm a believer in it. And I'm in therapy now uh, as we go through this crisis and pandemic. You have to check in with yourself. And um, a mental health stigma is, is a thing, and it's a big thing in our community. Um, so I just wanted to echo what, what everyone had said. And it's systemic, and it bleeds on through. And um, I'm just thankful that the topics of race and these other hard topics came up today because it's so intertwined. Like, I'm looking at it, and we've been talking for over a half hour, and we haven't even really talked fully about body types yet. But Danny started to build on it of this Western... Um, and actually, we have to use the great uh, references called T-shaped body. Um, <laughs> and I would say the female equivalent of that is being, um, you know, a vase. 
your hourglass, but an hourglass that's like a size two somehow. I don't know how that's supposed to happen because I'm actually an hourglass, but my measurements don't fit into that cute little equation. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then like to take on the body type and, and what that does with roles and stuff um, in my experience, like smothering play, it's going to be hard for someone who's a size two to be smothering somebody, right? So there is a reason why certain people be attracted to people's body types. Um, and I think that would be, I would love to hear Danny and Bianca's take on what they think they get fetishized for. Um, and personally, as well as do you see that other places? Because I feel like that's a lot of my journey is being fetishized for my body positively and negatively or or I feel about that differently on certain days and I was just curious how that works for you guys <laughs> I think that's a great segue to, to jump right in because that was going to be the next question too staying on you know addressing body dysmorphia in the queer kink and leather or BDSM community so we'll toss it back to Danny and then to Bianca keep keep the conversation going oh man where do we go with this um Wait, can you just repeat this? Do you want me to talk about, like, body dysmorphia? Do we want to talk about, like, what Beth just, like, kind of threw out there with regards to, like, how our individual experiences around fetishization? Yeah, maybe start with with jumping off from Beth, but um, we looped in, you know, because you had mentioned body dysmorphia as well, and that was going to be my next question. But I think think it's all kind of, at some point, we're going to get to all of it in this next half hour. Um, you know, I mean, you know, between fetishes and, and then fantasizing what like people are supposed to look like, what you're attracted to, um, and then, and inadvertently, you know, discriminating folks within our own community. Uh, But you can, you definitely can start with your own experiences. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about, well, so as somebody who is Asian, um, I identify as Southeast Asian, so I'm brown. So I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily identify with like East Asian cultures. But that being said, like, you know, I sometimes, I often get read as racially ambiguous, um, which is different for most Asian men because on a whole, like kind of dominant culture and how it plays within gay men's space as well as like queer spaces and king spaces is like, well, you know, Asian women tend to be, fetishized as like the dragon lady or like the geisha or something like that and then like men are completely desexualized completely like erased out of the equation and so you know this is why i i I quoted uh girl complex earlier because i kind of identify with the sentiment of like it is a radical act for me to actually exist within gay male white spaces and take up room and to actually like be known as a skilled player and to actually like be noticed. Um, that being said, also like I don't experience the same type of fetishization that maybe some of my East Asian uh, slimmer physique, you know, male compatriots do within the Asian American community trying to navigate uh, either gay or kink spaces. Um, so yeah, like that's like I said earlier, like I. I, I recognize I have a certain level of like passability privilege, right? Like I, I can grow a beard. I, I'm very masculine presenting. I happen to play mostly as a dom when it comes to like play spaces. Um, but yeah, like that's the weird thing that I've actually been experiencing lately, especially um, in terms of body, my own experiences with body dysmorphia is my body dysmorphia looks very different now than it did uh, back 
you know, when I was younger and when I was like kind of growing up. Example would be, hmm, I'm going to actually draw from another like kind of leader within my communities that I really admire, but there's Arya Saeed, who's the executive director of the Compton Transgenders uh, Neighborhood Center. Um, but she once described when I was working with her doing community building within the trans community, she once said about like experiences for trans women is the bigger the the pass, the bigger the clock, which meant that like the more you pass with, you know, being read as like a cisgender woman, and when somebody clocks you, they, they find out that you're trans, they make a big show of it. And there's like this anxi heightened anxiety around like being called out as a fraud, you know, as not real. And I think there's something about my body dysmorphia getting worse or differently shaped and textured as I get older, because you would think that I have worked through um, some of the kind of pressures and the, um, the, the, the issues of passability within like gay male spaces of like being accepted as like beautiful or being respected as skilled. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. The more I get older and the more I pass as like having made it, the worse I actually feel. The more I'm just like, am I, I, I just feel this weird fraud slash like imposter syndrome that's constantly hovering around. And I don't know if other people experience that, but that's something that um, I've been struggling with, um, especially with the pandemic. Um. So I am in a, a different position, I think, definitely than Beth and Danny, is that as a Black woman, my body is, was fetishized to be curvy. And by God, I am. So I have the Coke bottle shape. It's, it has a little more holes than I'm, I'm normally comfortable with. But I feel like as a Black girl growing up, that I knew that I was always going to be thick, right? There was always a look to be thick. You always wanted to have the girl with the big butt, the girl with the big boobs. So for me, I never really experienced like some type of body, my own body dysmorphia. I've always been happy with my body as it was, whatever size it may be, as small or as large as it may be. Um, but I always love dressing specifically for my body shape. And when my stress specifically for my body shape, I get the pencil skirts, I get the high heels, I get the low collars, I get, you know, they're very traditional dominatrix look, but I'm just dressing because that's what looks good for me. So I get fetishized as being someone's um, goddess because they love to call me someone's goddess. They want me to be their goddess and they want me to worship at my feet. Um, they want to be, especially white men, love to be the black goddess's special slave. Um, and that's actually not me at all. It's not something I'm aware of and I'm something I'm comfortable with. Um, but that's one of the things that they love coming after me for. They also love, especially gay men, love my breasts. I have a buxom chest size. Um, and just like Beth says, walking through the bar, I get grabbed all the time. So I get praised for having this um, curvaceous body type or to dress in, you know, in corsets and anything that makes me super femme and even more high femme than I already am. 
um, the gay men, especially within the leather community, just fall over it. And I love it sometimes. Most times I love it. Most times, like, if I always, um, actually Girl Complex told me, if you ever wanted to feel good about what you look like that day, walk into a gay club. And you will walk out feeling amazing because everyone's going to stop you. Girl, you look good. You look good. You look good. Um, but sometimes it's a little bit too much. And sometimes it's a little bit too, um, I need to worship. Um, that doesn't work for me. Or if I decide to go low key with my, you know, my Air Force Ones and my latex dresses, which is just really comfortable and nothing else. It's just really comfortable. Um, and my big hoop earrings, then I get fetishized as um, the girl from around the block who's going to be hood with you and who's going to sit there and do all these, you know, whatever you think stereotypical black girls do. And then you're going to just expand upon that and then run with that type of fetish. So for me, it's, I, I can't win no matter how, which way I dress, no matter what I do, someone's going to see me as they want to see me and then just run with it. So my, you know, my favorite thing is just to do what I want to do. And, you know, if you want to do what you want to do, like I tell, like Beth said, sometimes, you know, it's a pleasant conversation and sometimes it's not, you know? So it's just, that's how I have to deal with it on an everyday basis, which is why I actually fully appreciate queer spaces because I'm less fetishized and I really enjoy POC only spaces because my body type comes less into con into con um, into conversation when then when I'm in like a mixed space or a white space. I'm going to go back to audience questions. Thank you so much for um, sending the questions in. And so keep sending them. We'll get them to our panel. Uh, you've talked today a few times about Western concepts of ideal body types. How are kink BDSM communities different in other countries and societies such as Africa, Asia, South America, and so on? I think it's how your culture accepts bodies. Um, so in certain parts of Africa, if you were actually a skinny woman, you were looked down upon. Whereas in the Western world, I'm supposed to be a size six at most, maybe an eight on my bad day. Um, in, uh, different cultures, it, it's not required for you to be this specific thin, blonde, petite, demure, but stern dominatrix or submissive or this ultra masculine man. But Danny can speak to the men's portion better than I can. Um, I don't know because simply I, not from Asia. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I'm American, born and raised and everything. But that being said, you know, I, I do have some international friends. And I think there's something to be said about, like, particularly when it comes to some of the Asian leathermen that I do know who are in, like, say, hubs where it is a little bit more um, visible, which is like Taiwan or like parts of Japan or parts of like Thailand. Um, I think there's something to be said about, like, yes, you have this context of like, um, your ethnic culture around you is more kind of representative of what you look like. But at the same time, leather as kind of a, a Western or uh, originated thing, because the fact is like leather exists more popularly in North America than it does say in Europe. In Europe, like rubber is actually a lot more popular. Um, and it's also because like the relationship and history around like the industrial revolution right like but that being said like i think there's also something to be said about the parallels between that i see between um 
say, religion seeping itself into Asia, like, which for me is like, oh, that's just another form of colonialism. Fuck you. Like, let's kick, let's kick out this, like, Jesus-worshipping shit. That's not what my ancestors did. Um, why should we suckle on the nutsack of this white of this whitewashed Jesus? And likewise, I think there's something to be said about like, well, when we start importing and adopting images like Tom of Finland and like the porn in kink and like you know white masculine culture and importing it over there, it starts like affecting the attitudes towards like skin tone, body type as well so yeah i think there's some i think there's a parallel to be glimpsed as far as like what are the ways in which the politics of desirability is in itself replicating emotional and psychological colonialism and imprinting upon people's sexuality across the globe especially when America is just like one of those cultures that's just like not satisfied until it's consumed everything. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. I was going to say, I also, I can't quite literally have only been to Canada, so I'm not going to speak on an international level. <laughs> I was an academic. I was busy my whole life. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, from what I know of friends from other countries um, that are in whether it's just the generalized kink community, which includes rubber, rubber and uh, rope art, right? Like, like Asian cultures are kind of stereotypically known for rope art mastery and things of that nature. Tiger Yoshi comes to mind, and he's an American, but he um, knows a lot of that style. And uh, there's books and books and books, and it's all from uh, Japanese culture for the most part. Um, and then there's a big German influence, right? And me growing up Italian Roman Catholic, um, body types was a weird situation. Like we're all huge as hell, but we're in America. So we're trying to do the white girl thing and it was confusing and, uh, the Catholic overtones. So like, there's a whole other aspect of this we haven't discussed, but like BDSM has a lot of like religious play and <laughs> a lot of that comes into play. And, um, and I know in Italy, there's a, a big community also, and they kind of like keep to their own, which is kind of awesome in some ways. Um, but yeah, so there's these different aspects of each international's community that I think we, we know on a general stereotypic basis, but like, I really can't speak to it outside of that parameter because I quite literally have not left North America much at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, friends who have traveled and, and come back, I, I think for me, like, um, the body type thing, like, uh, obviously people who come towards my direction, like a curvier girl and, uh, there's, there, that could go either way. Um, one thing we haven't highlighted, we've talked about like the goddess praise and stuff, but I've also been called a cow, um, and these really awful names in bed and, uh, and elsewhere. Um, and it's one of the first insults that anyone that I reprimand or, tell them they're misspeaking about gender or sex or sexual harassment issues, especially if they're drunk, because I was a bar manager for quite some time uh, and a bartender. The, fir the first two insults are already, yeah, you could probably say it with me, you fat bitch. Um, that is the first two things. And I own that. I am a fat bitch. And I, I've had to just accept that 
wow, you're really, you're really uh, on point there. If you can catch that, because obviously if you see me, meet me, you will get those two aspects very quickly in my personality. So I don't really take it. It's face value. Um, but that is what people do, right? Uh, people, people are do quick assessments and judgments. And I think, um, again, back to pop culture, one of the things that comes up a lot is that's what gets highlighted is the quick references, because that'll appeal to the masses and make your product or movie or story sell and appeal to more people. And also like in an artistic way, like I get the positive of that, that more people can relate to your art. That's awesome. Um, But you know, people take things at face value and people make comic book references and and make people into comic fit into dimensions because it's just an easier way to navigate your life. And when you get confronted by somebody, that's the first thing they're going to throw at you. Um, And so again, you know, for folks out there that are watching that encounter any of this, please know you're not alone. Um, And I think one of the best things you can do when someone does that is smile and say thank you for noticing um or really not take it to heart because it, it, it's stupid i don't know how else to explain it <laughs> it's a it's a quick reaction and i think especially when it comes to sex quick is is a thing people want to get off quick and uh that's 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 just part of this culture um in a lot of ways I can't believe we're, you know, we've already spent almost an hour. I have so many questions. Like, for example, <laughs> you know, we, we started off talking about uh, traditions and kind of, you know, several different generations and kind of the old guard isn't always happy with, you know, the new younger generations coming into kink BDSM because um, maybe things change, right? Like not necessarily focusing so much on the binary. Um, ageism, you know, stuff like ageism and accessibility. I had all these questions around that. I think where I want to go with, with that is, uh, is it easier to call out, you know, these bad practices or behaviors in a culture, um, you know, that is kind of somewhat set in its ways, or is it easier to create much more safe spaces, such as what Bianca was talking about? It sounds like, you know, the queer community has kind of expanded it and, and created their own um, safe spaces, especially for POC folks. Bianca? I, th- I think, I think, um, I think you have to do both. Um, I get in trouble a lot for doing both and I'm happy to do it. Um, but I have a mouth on me and it doesn't know when to stop. So for me, we created the, <laughs> we created the Unruly Social Club, and the Unruly Social Club is a BIPOC-only non-male space. That's the you know, that's that's our space that we could create within the community. That's their space that we created. But I'm still gonna walk into the powerhouse, and you know, in, in San Francisco, and demand that these old guards treat me with a level of respect that I deserve because I have every right to be there, you know, as much as they do. Um, I have told them that in a speech actually in their bar. I don't think a lot of people are happy about it, but we've been around as long as they have and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to make spaces and I'm going to change spaces because why should I have to find my own? Danny? Um, I think, at least for me, so I'm, I'm currently working on a memoir about my experiences um, growing up within a refugee community as well as inheriting queer kink culture from survivors of HIV AIDS. So, you know, on one hand, I have parents who were displaced from the 70s. And then, and then I got like mentors and people who 
raise me in terms of my sexuality and my identity around like being a gay man um, who survived HIV AIDS in the 80s and 90s. And so I think there's something to be said about like there's trauma, particularly for some of these old guard folks who, for the most part, I have a lot of empathy for the fact that like you hobbled across the finish line, you and your your ilk like survived a genocide. Um, and so there, I think there's something to be said about like calling people in when they make mistakes, because I'm also recognizing that you come from a damaged background where maybe a lot of the people who you would have shared dialogue with to interrogate aspects of what does it mean to be privileged and be a man? What does it mean to check your misogyny? What does it mean to respect women and, and, and think beyond gender binaries and race and body types and stuff like that? And then likewise, I think th there's, there's a certain level of patience that I choose to exhibit when it comes to, you know, recognizing when somebody is maybe stubborn but completely coachable but also recognizing like when I need to take a step back from that type of energy and find affirmation and tenderness and care from those who look more like me and people who share some of my generational concerns around um, body, gender, environmental politics. Um, what does it mean to like fight anti or to, to, to be, to do anti-racist work within, you know, kink, spaces what does it mean to like actually say black lives matter within a space where a lot of gay white men maybe get really upset because they think that means that their lives don't matter you know so so it's about like kind of picking and choosing my battles but also like not stepping away or or not um not being shy of stepping up to the plate when a battle needs to be had just to tag on that, yeah, um, I've been on, like, we're using these phrases, so I've been on the front lines of this conflict and many conflicts from consent to uh, body navigating, um, gender roles navigating, sexual violations and consent, like, just kind of constantly. <laughs> um, that is a constant conversation, right? And you jump in and out of being able to handle that, you you have to have self-care. Um, I know for a fact, everyone on this panel right now, you wouldn't be able to do the level of work we're all doing in our realms without self-care. Um, quite literally, I have days in bed with my kittens and my baby, and we watch Moana, and we watch Frozen 2, and I regroup <laughs> so that you can go back out and have really tough decisions. Um, quite recently in my most recent position with the uh, district, you know, it, I am with all older white men. Um, and that is a theme for me as well. And um, you have to pick and choose your battles because I, I, at least I feel that the most work that can be done is the, the conversations that go on in the background that maybe don't get done in one conversation. Um, there's some folks that I basically have, uh, I'm mentoring. It's not official, but like, I'm constantly like, hey, calling you in again. Hey, I saw you doing this. What's going on here? How are you doing today? Um, and I, I chose to do that, but I figure if everybody of, of a capacity to do so takes on a few, <laughs> 
then that's how the education spreads, right? And if you really invest in somebody and and call them in, like Danny, I use the term, it's one of my new favorites. It's just like time in versus time out for my daughter. Like it's like this new idea of being mindful and quite literally, um, I love the term it's used many times, like the generation of mindfulness um, is, is, a, is a thing we're in right now. It's a revolution. And um, some people choose to be in part of that discussion and some are not. Um, when it comes to bodies um, and our topic, you know, in the BDSM culture specifically, I think we keep reverting back to a lot of what the three of us experience in the San Francisco community and the, the venues we've navigated. Um, but, you know, it could look quite differently in different realms of the world. Um, <laughs> I'm from New York. Uh, yeah, you're from New York, New York too, that's originally, right. And I, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, there's queer culture, there's mountain culture, men leather culture, and then it's mostly the same issues. I mean, and I've traveled all over the country. Right for you know leather events and it's pretty much the same wherever I've gone so it's not just San Francisco yeah well then good that I'm validated because that's that's what I imagine but I want to speak to something I cannot my my experience on the east coast has been quite limited because I was young and not supposed to be doing things and then uh coming back now when it's pandemic and I can't go anywhere uh, <laughs> so so thank you for that because that's what I see I feel like these uh conversations are happening and we're doing this today because because it needs to happen and we're going to start a ball rolling. And I hope that that folks that have been listening to us have maybe related in some way or feel confronted in some way. Hopefully this was provocative in all its meanings because um, going out and getting education or sharing information with people is quite literally how it seeps into like the collective uh, consciousness. And um, you know, I hope that as media goes on, the stereotypes that are in pop culture to our cultures, as well as body types and gender roles and everything we've discussed, I hope that it continues to evolve because I see that happening, like quite literally as shows get better and better that they're like, I was just watching Ratchet um, on Netflix and there's lesbian love scenes and I'm like, yay, um, because you never see that. So it was very PG, like 13, but I'll take it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just nice to see these things um, coming out a little more and as like I hope my daughter grows up in a very different radical different world um than she has been born into and uh I think that's what keeps me going and keeps me having these hard conversations but at this point it's a lot of it's behind the scenes um I for my own safety and sanity have taken my Facebook in particular presence down a notch um and I think that's okay to do from time to time but I'm also in the background working on some really hard conversations as well as putting together some stories finally so um you know we I, I think it, I, when you're a leader when we get called a leader in this community it's because people see you doing that work um so I I wanted to thank everyone that's been involved with today because it's it's part of that process so just thank you for for doing this this is amazing I think Beth just said that we just collectively dom we just intellectually dominated the audience. So you're welcome out there. First oh, session free. free. Hey, thank you, mistress. <laughs> uh, we have we have a few uh, or a couple minutes left, but I want to make sure that I ask um, some questions from the audience before we let you go. So we'll end with that. Um, one person to answer this question: Are leather, latex, rubber, craftsfolk designing for diverse bodies? Do you all have issues getting what you need off the rack? Maybe no one should be buying off the rack. Bianca, 
No one should be buying off the rack. You should find your local women-owned latex, oh, latex in particular. You should find your women, local women-owned, your local fat-owned, your local black-owned latex designers. They are out there. They are, I buy stuff all the time. If you can't find them, you should contact me and I will find them for you. Um, you, I cannot find anything that will fit me at any traditional leather store. So everything that I own that's leather or latex, I make customized for me. Um, and for folks out there who are not finding local um, press folks who are designing stuff that, that works with your body, I have found some of the best non-binary trans and like different body uh, designers on Etsy and on Instagram. I follow these great people. You can just check the hashtags. You can just search like the thing. Like some, my, some of my most prized like brown leather items have been made by like an East Coast trans male designer who we just worked online just finding the right measurements for me. So they are out there. Support them. They're doing great work. This audience is awesome. We keep getting questions. No one wants to let you go. I think I think <laughs> you, you um you're onto something, and that we do need to have these. Uh, Maybe we need a two-hour conversation. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask this question because it was also one of um, my questions. But you know, uh, COVID nineteen and this pandemic. I mean, how are y'all connecting? How has it been different? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so while I was managing the district, I at least tried to get a, well, and it's still going. I did, I succeeded at this, but they have a happy hour once a week on Mondays, and they also have erotic storytelling hour um, every other week. And again, PG-13 style, but it's a way to connect with folks through Zoom. Um, and I know that um, folks are doing their damnedest to, like, figure and navigate figure this all out. Like I, you know, I have the benefit that I have a live in partner. So we're going to Atlantic city and have a hotel room for Sunday and we're going to have our own Folsom. Um, and I feel like we've all kind of branched out and, um, pods uh, what was the term bianca you were using at the beginning of bu bubbles or pods we were oh my I, bubbles bubble. yeah i have i have bubbles of people i have i have special bubbles i use the term germ pod yeah, there you go. Yeah. So germ pod is, um, so I actually have a small germ pod and that means people who I am in agreement with. Um, I learned this term actually from uh, the radical fairy uh, campground up in rural Mendocino. Uh, shout out to Groundswell. Um, just because the residents of the land, they were, um, they, they invited me up. And so I got to join their germ pod after I passed a two week quarantine period. So now that I'm back in the city, I have a small germ pod of like just a couple of trusted friends. And and this is one thing that I've had to learn from both being a gay man who, you know, met, was mentored by survivors of HIV AIDS, but also as a, somebody who worked within the public health sector for 16 years, which is we can learn from what like the survivors of HIV AIDS did, which was think about the window period, like in, in HIV testing, there's a three month window period, unless of course you're testing directly for the virus, which is an RNA test, but just go about assuming that everybody has freaking COVID. If there's a two week window period between infection and like, or being asymptomatic or symptomatic and actually passing the virus and therefore not being able to infect other people, just assume that like everybody has it, but have, at least for me, what I been doing with my germ pod is before we meet up it's just 
having an open and honest conversation about going, what have you been up to over the last two weeks? Tell me every single detail, including your grocery store like visit. Let's have an open conversation about what your social contact with, even if it's at a distance, even if it's socially distanced. It's like, have you had any sexual contact? Have you had any social contact? Have you been outside of your home quarantining? Um, if so, let's have that conversation and see like, what is my comfort level? Also on top of that, when was your last COVID test? And mm -hmm. figuring out whether or not that risk is like safe for you. It's just Thank like you. the safe yeah. sex conversation. You, you yeah. just have to treat it the same. Like when were you tested last and all those different things. I'm lucky enough to have my partner in my little, little bubble. So I am not touch starved, but I am definitely distanced from everybody else. Um, I think a lot of uh, groups are doing a lot of things online like we're doing right now, but I think, but, but I also know like large organizations like the Mr. International Rubber is having their whole event online. The International Miss Leather Competition is having their whole event online and they're also doing a telethon online on the 14th. Um, you also have like groups who are doing education like Onyx Northwest where they are viewing their, you know, they're having panels and people are discussing on you know, panels and they're viewing it for everybody. I think doing everything that everyone else is doing, we're just, you know, we might be less clothed than your regular <laughs> Zoom meeting. That's just about it. Oh, y'all are just so great and incredible. I wish we could go two hours, but we can't. Um, but we should do this. We should probably expand on the conversation because I didn't get to ask like 12 of my questions. <laughs> And, but the last question is from the audience. This goes to Beth. And uh, thank you for such a great discussion. Can Beth mention some of those mentors and references she brought up? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, men's community wise, and Danny and Bianca, please add to this list because I know I'm going to blank out. But uh, I know there's the Leather Men's Discussion Group, the Young Leather Men's Discussion Group, uh, the the uh, Golden Gate Guards are quite formal, but uh, if you're into the really want to know your history, um, I know they're, the Exiles has, a pro I think they still have it going, okay, um, has an Exiles program for women. Um, there's uh, For anyone who does, I'm sorry, for anyone who does not is male. Yeah, sorry, non-male. And um, there's also um, a few new ones coming out, and I don't want to say their names wrong, but um, anyone is always welcome to reach out to me. Um, I am more than happy to be an almanac of resources and point you in the right direction. There's the also the Medusas of San Francisco, which is the new trans women-only group. Um, you have the Sirens. Uh, who are based out of Minnesota, and they are, again, a trans women-only group. Um, there's also a trans guy group, and I'm going to get so many hate messages for not remembering their name. Oh, the, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not remembering. Sorry, but definitely hit me up for that. You have the Lesbian Sex Mafia. They have monthly workshops. Um, they also are doing them on Zoom, so you don't actually have to be there in person. Um, so anyone in the world can do that. Uh, there's also a lot of people online. Um, if you're someone who's of color, perverts, perverts of color on Instagram always has classes being updated. Um, a lot of things going on in LA. You just, you have to find us online and then we can get you <laughs> right people. Cause it really depends on what you're into, who you are and who you want to be with. That's a very key. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you to San Francisco Pride for continuing with their Lavender series and putting these important discussions together. And of course, Commonwealth Club 
for the platform. And thank you all for joining us for this conversation. So if you're doing the Folsom Street Fair virtual, first ever virtual uh, celebration, have a good time. And remember all the things that we talked about. Reach out to Beth, reach out to Bianca, reach out to Danny if you need more resources. And we have more programs coming up if you'd like to see the full program schedule for the Michelle Miao Show program or the Commonwealth Club. Head to commonwealthclub.org slash online. We will see you next time. Bye. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.